The secret to well-being is discovering the power that is your birthright, the power to create a happier, healthier life drawn from our own vast internal resources. Join Jules and her guests as they gently guide you to shift your perspective from the familiar negative to the divinely connected, a place that will not only positively impact your world, but possibly shift the planet. It's all right here on Law of Attraction Talk Radio. Well, welcome to Law of Attraction Talk Radio. I'm Jules in beautiful La Quinta, California, and I'm getting ready for the holiday season, and I'm so excited. All my grandkids and even my great-grandson, Royal, are coming for a few days, and I'm so excited to show them everything. The holidays are so much fun in this gorgeous desert area. No snow, lots of palm trees, and decorations galore. It's hard to imagine that I didn't even know about La Quinta before last June. I knew I was looking for a new home in Palm Springs and I couldn't find one that really made me happy, you know, really made me feel good. So I just kind of gave up the look. And then one night I was nudged awake at the angel hour of 4 a.m. and I got the thought that said, Go look on Craigslist. Well, I never thought about looking on Craigslist for a house, but I decided, well, why not? What have I got to lose? And there was my beautiful house. And I've got to say, this is my dream home. It's been so much fun decorating and planting flowers and bougainvillea. And I have been meeting the nicest neighbors Wow, has my solitary life of just working turned into something brand new for me. A whole new phase of my life has just begun. And as we will talk about in tonight's show, there is an energy, a a God or a power that truly has your back. When you surrender or just detach from your desire, Opportunities just start flowing that will literally change your life even in a week. You know, 2016, as you all know, is a nine year. We are seeing evidence of the endings of many things, such as the ending of the current administration and government. On a personal level, though, this nine year was the ending of a previous phase of being a caretaker to my father who died six years ago on Thanksgiving Day, and then being a caretaker to my beautiful, wonderful grandchildren for the last 21 years. And now they're all grown up and taking good care of themselves, and I'm so proud of them. My whole life has changed, and I feel like I'm free of any and all restrictions. I am finally free to be me. I threw away all these knickknacks that I accumulated in the past and bought all brand new things in decorating my house. And you know, at the age of 63, I finally feel like I'm an adult with the sole responsibility of making decisions that are in my best interest. Not anybody else's, but my best interest. Wow, is that fun. I have chosen to do less special events because I'm wanting a more stress-free life. Probably the biggest change in my life is that I have stopped worrying about things, about everyday things, about 
everything. I came to the full realization that I must get out of the way and simply detach. You know, the universe can better bring me all the things I desire at a fast speed when I stop directing and controlling the outcome. You know, it's, it's like a golf game. When you focus on the mechanics of, of a golf swing, you play terribly because you're focused on doing the mechanics of the swing. But when you place your eye on the exact place where you want the ball to land, this allows you to completely detach from the control of the swing and brings you incredible results beyond what you have ever thought. This has allowed my eyes to see things that I never saw before and allows more ideas to flow into my mind. Even more desires are flowing to me. Things I never thought of doing before. I finally got to the point after some 60 years that I can finally trust the universe. You know, people don't want to age, but I got to tell you, life just gets better and better as you age. Maturing just doesn't end at the age 21 or even 40. It truly begins when you realize that you are the sole creator of your life through the power of what you think. It takes years of up and downs and, and crying and fighting to get to the place where you can finally be aware that life is like a fine wine. It only gets better with age. So I'm 63 years old and I'm loving my life in ways I have never loved it before. And I know that the best is still coming. But I couldn't have gotten here without going through all that big contrast. And believe me, I had some huge upsets in my life that now I can see that I fully created. But I needed all of those bits of contrast to get me to the happy place where I am today. So now we're entering 2017, which happens to be a one year numerology wise. A year of new beginnings, new adventures, new businesses, new travel, new successes. Initially, I thought to myself, "Uh oh, it's a nine year and oh my gosh, I don't want anything to happen to Law of Attraction Radio Network or Law of Attraction Magazine. I don't want them to go away. I'm thoroughly loving them. But then I realized that they're sticking around and blossoming into something bigger and better than ever. Far away from all the struggles I had during the last 10 years because finally they have matured with me. It's an exciting few years ahead of us and I am just ecstatic. Truthfully, we are all sovereign individuals and we are all in control of our thoughts. That is again the only thing that we are in control of. We don't need to be followers of the news because we create our own news. We are breaking free of what people are telling us and deciding for ourselves what feels good to us intuitively. In other words, we already know which news is right and which news is fake. We already know this. We just have to feel it. You know, after 10 years, you would think I would be bored with the law of attraction, but you know, it's just impossible. 
Because as the listeners expand their thoughts and begin to realize that they're creating their desires, the entire theme of the law of attraction is expanding beyond where we were 10 years ago. It's true what Abraham Hicks says. Abraham says the same thing over and over, but yet the human mind is ever expanding. So every time you hear the same words, it starts a new mental pathway for you. You see, you're not the same person that you were 10 years ago or even a few weeks ago. Your mind progresses and changes and expands. So whatever you heard, even a week ago, you can re-listen to again and you get a brand new meeting. That's how wonderful and brilliant our minds are. So every day, no matter if you're rich or poor, in prison or a slave, you have evolved to a new neuron pathway. There is no way that what you believe to be true 10 years ago is still true today. Oh, there's still some inklings of it, but it has evolved and expanded to a new level. This is what you call the natural human condition. It happens to everyone. I believe as you age, you get to the place where you finally accept life as your own creation. I can't get bored with the law of attraction because every day there is a brand new revelation that absolutely delights me. It's like a new game. There's something that comes along every day that shows you that there's something way more than what we currently see with our naked eye. That's why I'm so happy to bring you my guest today, Dr. Scott Kobaba, MD, who wrote the book with 26 other physicians called Physicians Untold Stories, Miraculous Experiences. Doctors are hesitant to share with their patients or anyone. So I want you to sit back, relax, and sink into the bliss of miracles. Hopefully, by the end of the show, you will know that the universe has your back and you too can let go of the worry, which will create a brand new beginning for you starting in 2017. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after these words. It's here. It's hot, and it's a must-read. It's the science behind The Law of Attraction magazine. Every issue brings you great articles and in-depth how-tos from all your favorite Law of Attraction experts, authors, scientists, and medical professionals. Go to lawofattractionmagazine.net. That's lawofattractionmagazine.net. Dot N-E-T. Welcome back to Law of Attraction Talk Radio with Jules. I am so happy to bring you this show tonight. Scott J. Koboba, MD, is a practicing physician in Wheaton, Illinois, who completed his residency at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. He's a proud father of seven with five grandchildren. And I'm delighted that he could join me during his very busy schedule. What he has to share 
will bring you a hundred times more comfort than any medication that you have ever taken. Well, welcome to Law of Attraction Talk Radio, Dr. Koboba. I so look forward to talking with you. Thanks, Jules. It's great to be here, and I look forward to talking with you, too. Well, this is a wonderful and uplifting book that you wrote, and it's perfect timing for the upcoming holidays. Um, It's exactly what we need right now to show us that there's something beyond our 3D world. And I'm so glad that you, as a medical doctor, have taken the time to write this out and show us some really good stories. So um, tell us, are these um, undocumented scientific things or miracles that happen, are they seen more and more by the medical profession today? You know, I I think uh, it's hard to say because, you know, doctors don't like to talk about these things because, <laughs> you know, they're a little embarrassed. These are ordinary doctors that I talk with. And, um, you know, uh, if you went to a doctor and he said, I saw a vision that uh, you were going to need uh, XYZ surgery in the future, you'd think that doctor was a little bit strange. So doctors don't like to talk about this. And when we got the docs together, uh, they were all surprised about what each of them had experienced. So... I think doctors probably experience a little bit more uh, divine help than than uh, other people because they're involved with caring and um, helping people. And I think you know, there's someone upstairs. There's a there's a force. There's a God, uh, whatever you want to call it, that uh, looks after us. And uh, I think uh, he or she helps doctors a little bit more because they're caring for other individuals too. Mm, yeah, I I see. So. What was your first occurrence that made you think that you had something that maybe the whole world should know about? Well, you know, uh, I've had a couple strange experiences. Um, One of the first uh, was probably a call from one of my patients in Louisiana. He was traveling. He travels quite a bit. And he called me from Louisiana. and He said, Dr. Kobaba, I've got this abdominal pain that started after I ate. And it sounded typical for gallbladder. And I said, you know, okay, Taylor, I'd like you to go to the closest emergency room. We'll have them check you out. Uh, we'll see if, uh, you know, get your gallbladder ultrasound, get your blood test, and we'll see if we need to have, have you admitted or, or whatever. So he went to the local emergency room, and he called me from the emergency room, and he said, you know, everything was, was done, gallbladder ultrasound, x-rays, uh, labs, everything was perfectly normal, and I'm feeling better, so they sent me out. And I said, okay, Taylor, you know, finish your business and, and uh, come home. When you come home, I'll, I'll take a look at you in the office. So he came home. I looked at him in the office. sounded like classic gallbladder, right upper quadrant abdominal pain, nausea, um, and uh, just not feeling very well. So I, I got some fancier gallbladder studies, some additional lab work. Everything was perfectly normal. It was really troubling because it's not, you know, you don't like to have a person with a pain and an undiagnosed uh, condition. So about two or three days later, I woke up in the morning with this strange feeling. I, I had a feeling that he needed a lung scan. Now, that didn't make any sense. This is abdominal pain. Why would he need a lung scan? But I just couldn't get the feeling out of my, out of my head. So I called him up, which is unusual. I called him up about 7 o'clock in the morning. I said, Taylor, I, I, just, I didn't tell him I had this dream or a premonition. I just said, I think you need a lung scan. And he said, well, I can't get it today because I'm flying out to Denver this afternoon. I'm going to be, be, be busy and so forth. So I said, you know, I, I really have a strong feeling you need a lung scan. If, if I can get it in this morning, 
would that be okay? Could you still make the flight? And he said, yeah, I could. And I said, well, would you mind if I did that? And there was a long pause at the end of the line. And he finally said, okay. So I called the hospital and I talked to the radiology people and I said, you know, can I get a lung scan in this morning? And after they stopped laughing, uh, they said, you know, our lung scans are scheduled out, you know, three days. And I also used the technique of a long pause on the other end of the line. And uh, he finally said to me, okay, send him right over. So I called Taylor. I said, Taylor, go over and get a lung scan, you know, as soon as you can. That way you can get out to Denver by this afternoon. So about an hour and a half later, I get a call from the radiologist, and he says, nice call. I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, he had a massive pulmonary embolus sitting on his diaphragm. That's why he had abdominal pain and not chest pain. I said, oh, my goodness. And the radiologist said, you know, had he flown out today like he wanted to, he would have probably died because he had other uh, blood clots, very likely. So I put him right in the hospital, put him in the, in the septon intensive care unit, and we learned that he had a hereditary cl- uh, clotting disorder, so that he's on uh, anticoagulant for life. And uh, that little word or, or thought in the back of my mind literally saved his life. And I thought, this is really strange. I, I wonder if other doctors have similar experiences. Wow. So that was, that was the beginning. That's what really got my attention. And uh, that's, that's what got me on, on the road. Wow. And so you started thinking that um, people need to know that there's more than meets the eye, huh? Exactly. Exactly. And, and um, you know, th- there were a couple other experiences, too. After that, doctors started coming to me with some, with, and I don't, I don't know why, but the, uh, the, the first occurrence was my friend Dave Mokel, who's an orthopedic surgeon. I was on the floor making rounds, and he ran, literally ran up to me and grabbed me by the arm and said, I've got this amazing story to tell you. And I said, okay, tell it to me. He said, well, I can't tell it here. Someone might hear it. <laughs> I said, well, who have you told this story to? And he said, well, no one, just my family. So he said, come, under the empty, come into this empty patient room. Let, let me tell you this story. And so he told me a story about a mutual patient who had arrested on the, on the operating table. Uh, he had given her some antibiotic, which she evidently had a reaction to, flatlined. No heartbeat, no pulse, no respirations, eyes closed, dead, basically. And they started CPR. And when they do CPR in the operating room, what they do is they call, everyone rushes in from the operating rooms nearby. And this one uh, tech with sh- uh, strikingly red hair uh, underneath his, his surgical cap started to do CPR, to comp- chest compressions. And he was doing chest compressions. Now, Dr. Mokel, who's in charge of the code because he's the surgeon, attending surgeon, uh, didn't feel a pulse. So he said to the, the guy, you're not doing them you know, adequately enough. Step aside, let me do it. Well, the guy didn't step aside. He asked him again, you know, let me, let me, you know, let me do the CPR, and the guy didn't step aside. So, you know, codes are life and death situations. You, you, you're not polite in some of those situations. So he just pushed the guy away, jumped, jumped over, started doing CPR compressions, which were adequate, perfused her brain, perfused her whole body, uh, and then after some IV medication, she, she woke up, but not to consciousness. She was still unconscious until the next day. So she finally lived. It was determined that it was a reaction to the antibiotic that she was given. But the interesting thing is when she was about ready to go home from the hospital a week later, Dr. Mokel walked in and gave her final instructions for the, the problem that she had with her ankle, which was the original problem. And she said, thanks for saving my life. And Dr. Mokel said, oh, it was a team effort. You know, we all pitch in. And she said, no, no. I saw you. Thank you for saving my life. I saw you jump in and push that guy with the red hair over, and he stumbled away. And I saw you page Dr. Kolbaba, uh, but he didn't come because he wasn't in the hospital. And I saw you look at the door multiple times. And he said, well, how did you do that? By this point, he's got weak knees and had to sit down. And she said, when, when I arrested, 
I rose up to the top of the, to the operating room and I could see everything that happened. In addition, my grandmother, who had, been, who had died long ago, came to me and said it wasn't my time, that I needed to go back and that there would be a place for me, uh, a special place for me in heaven, uh, you know, if I was good. And so about that point, Dr. Mokul took over and she, she went back. And, um, and Dr. Mokul, by this time, you know, who's a very scientific uh, person, was trying to explain it scientifically and really couldn't. And so uh, she went on after that to be the nicest person in the world, lived a few more years. She had multiple medical problems. And uh, I couldn't believe how, how kind and gentle she was after that episode. Now, when Dr. Mokul told me that, I thought, I've got to start writing these things down because there's, there's, something, there's something really going on here that I need to know about. And that's when I started asking doctors if they had any stories. And I was, I was amazed at the number of stories that doctors had. Some great, some moderate, some okay. And the ones that I used for the book were ones that either gave me goosebumps or, or made me cry. Not that they were sad, they just were so emotionally moving. And those are the ones I put in the book. You know, there was one story in there, uh, and it had to do with the fishing story. And I thought, wow, that is really, really cool. And still, I think people need to realize that people can hear them while they're in a coma. Could you tell us that story? I think sure. it's absolutely brilliant. Sure. Uh, one of my um, uh, the two doctors, one of the doctors uh, in the hospital had a massive stroke. And uh, he was in a, a deep coma. No one expected him to live. And uh, he um, uh, was, was in the ICU. And uh, one of my other doctor friends uh, decided he was a, a good friend. And he was a fishing buddy of his. And so um, he um, came in every day and uh, uh, didn't know what to do. Uh, he knew that he was going to be taken off life support in a couple days. So he knew he was uh, on his last legs. He wanted to do something, so um, he. Uh, this is this is John John Messett is his name. So he decided to tell uh, this doctor who was in a coma some stories, and they love fishing. They love to go fishing, and uh, they had they told fishing stories to each other uh, almost every morning when they met in the doctor's lounge. So um, Dr. Messett started to tell him uh, a fishing story about the fishing adventure that they had in uh, Canada where they caught uh, a lot of what are called graylings, and uh, they're a little bit, bit like trout. And it was a, a fascinating story. And every day he'd, he'd tell them uh, a story like this, and he made sure no one else was in the room when he told these stories because he didn't want to, you know, people to think he was crazy. And his wife thought he was crazy for telling stories like this to a person who was essentially dead. <laughs> but um, after about three days, uh, he went back uh, to see them in the ICU, and the bed, the bed was, was dark, the room was dark, the bed was empty, and he was sad that he, he realized that the, the, his, his friend had died over the night. So he asked the nurse, uh, you know, what, when did, when did uh, Bob, Bob die? And she kind of laughed, and he said, you know, he was a little offended by that. And uh, she said, well, he didn't die. He, he, went, he woke up yesterday and went downstairs to the, uh, the step-down unit. So uh, uh, ultimately, when, when uh, uh, Dr. Messick caught up with him, uh, he said, you know, uh, in, a, in a halting voice because he had a stroke and he couldn't, he couldn't speak as clearly as he would like to, he said, Th thank you. Thank you for telling me those stories. I love the one about the uh, graylings, catching the graylings in Canada. That was your be 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 best story in that halting way. And... Um, John said, well, you, know, you, mean, you mean you could hear me? He said, absolutely. You were the only person that uh, talked with me. I could hear you clearly. 
Mm-hmm. You know, John wondered. Um, he was so close to death. You wonder if when a person's that close, you've heard about people, you know, seeing a light that they could go to and, right. and they realize that, you know, if they cross that line or if they cross the river or cross whatever, they would be gone. And you wonder if, if uh, he was at that point where he had to make a decision whether to stay or go and if those stories really were instrumental in helping him stay. And I think they were. Uh, and I think he came back be- because of those stories and he heard them very clearly. So there is something. There is something. Um, what, as a medical doctor, and you came up with all these stories, you, you met with all these doctors. Yes. How has it changed your life? Well, you know, when you hear these stories about really divine intervention and, and unusual coincidences that, that really are not coincidental, um, you know, it gives you some hope. It, it gives you that, you know, there's, there's hope. I think there's, there's hope. And I think for people that are struggling with all kinds of various maladies or conditions or psychological problems or medical problems, uh, they need to know that there's something out there. And, and the doctors call, call this something God. You can call it a force. You can call it a cre- creator, whatever you like. But, but there's something out there that has your back, that loves you unconditionally, that, that supports you and will look out for you. And that helps you when you are doing a worthwhile cause. That, that force, that God, uh, will, will intervene. And always, if you're doing something worthwhile, will always help you in, in your efforts. Through a little coincidence, through all kinds of ways that you won't recognize unless you look for it. So do you now believe that in the possibility of life after death? Absolutely, absolutely. There are some amazing stories of people coming back uh, and participating in the lives of, of those that uh, they love. And I think, you know, love, uh, you know, when you write a book like this, you, you never know what the bottom line is. You never know what the underlying uh, premise is going to be completely. And because uh, these are just a whole series of, of, of random stories. And I think one of the, one of the premises is that, that love is an incredible force in the universe. And I think when people are, uh, love each other, they will sometimes, and, and there's some stories about this in the book, come back in, in various ways and help those uh, that are, are uh, on this earth. And it was amazing to hear those stories. Wow. You know, coming from a medical doctor, this warms my, <clears throat> excuse me, it warms my heart to hear this from a medical doctor because, like you said, they are so... Um, pressure not to say anything yes but it's it it's really uplifting to everyone to hear it from the horse's mouth shall we say you know yes yeah <laughs> it's just like it's reaffirming that wait a minute this isn't something weird this is something that's is very real it's very real it happens routinely as a matter of fact there are a couple doctors that i i've talked to that, ex- that actually count on miracles uh, and, and divine intervention in their practice. My partner, for example, John Bourne, uh, does a lot of preoperative uh, clearing for uh, patients going to orthopedic surgeries. And he always says, um, and he had one circumstance where he cleared a person for surgery and then just thought about, it. you know, th- th- there was something in the back of his head that kept recurring. You've got to, this guy needs a stress test. This guy needs a stress test. And he, you know, at, by this point, he recognizes that, that little voice and doesn't ignore it. Uh, and so he, he did a stress test on the fellow, and sure enough, he had a very abnormal stress test. He went on to have bypass surgery, 
had he gone to orthopedic surgery, he might have died on the table. So there are doctors that not only recognize this, but use this as part of their practice. And, it's, and, and again, they don't, they don't talk about it very much because, you know, uh, it's still a little bit strange to have an ordinary doctor say that I, I, I pay attention to miracles, I believe in miracles, I believe in, in coincidences that are, are more than coincidental. So, uh, yeah, you know, I tend to think that there's a lot of people who enter into the medical schools that are really sensitive or medical intuitives. Yes. And I think that's happening more and more. I, I think it is. I think it is. And I think um, I call these this group of, of doctors uh, sappy do-gooders because <laughs> – because you know, virtually all of them want to do some good in the world every day. They want to cure people. They want to do help someone out when they're in trouble. And I think those people tend to be a little more sensitive to things that are beyond this world. Mm. You know, this is so wonderful to talk to you because, you know, we've been talking about pharmaceuticals. We've been talking, you know, about cholesterol. We were talking about the myths and everything. Mm-hmm. And... It, to talk to you, it shows that, yeah, you know, doctors are really not in it for the money. They're not in it for the pharmaceuticals. They're in it because they want to help people. You know, that, that really is true. I, I, learned, I, I learned a lot about talking to doctors because doctors don't talk to each other about these kind of in-depth uh, discussions. And only when I, I, I got their stories and it brought out some you know, heartfelt emotions, were they able to speak, you know, from their hearts? And there, my, my editor called these doctors the noble doctors. And I don't think it's just a selected group. I think that lots of doctors are like this. Let me give you an example. Andy Rao is a cardiologist. And I was having a conversation with Andy on the floor one day. And I said, you know, we were doing some adoption work. I said, gee, Andy, there's this little girl in Romania who lives in a, one of the state orphanages who was wearing plastic shoes and got too close to the space heater when she was cold at night and the shoes melted on her feet and now she has deformed feet and can't walk and probably will never be able to be adopted. And about a week later, uh, that was just a, just a quick conversation, just, you know, how's the weather and the, every, everything like that. And a week later, Andy calls me up and says, we'd like to take her. And I said, well, what do you mean? We'd like to adopt her. And I said, well, Andy, you don't know anything about her. You know, you don't know what diseases she has. You don't know what condition she is. You know, and she's never going to be able to walk unless she has multiple operations. And he said, no, it doesn't matter. We know how to take care of her. She's a girl in trouble. We'd like to help her out. We have the means to provide operations for her. We can get her walking. If anyone can help her, we can. And that just touched my heart. And, and that's not unusual. You know, many doctors would have done that, that same thing. I, I, was, I was just, uh, you know, it, it brings me to tears even to think about it right now. Wonderful. Now, you had mentioned um, that one of the doctors, when in training, had a fluttering light, either in a dream or during the day when someone on their service was going to die. Yes. Tell us about that. Noemi Sigalov is a, uh, a, a general surgeon. She was in a general surgical residency, the only girl, actually, in the, in the residency, and they called her the girl, <laughs> interestingly. Um, but uh, she, every Every time uh, that there's someone was going to die, she'd get this fluttering light, and uh, she thought it was really strange. And, and people around her, and when she'd go in to make rounds in the morning, she'd say to her, to her colleagues that were you know, at the morning meeting, she'd say, I had that fluttering light again. They said, oh, no, who's going to die? And invariably, someone would. And she had that enough times 
that the uh, the staff dreaded her coming in with that story because uh, and it would happen anytime. It would happen when she was taking a shower in the morning. It would happen when she got up. It would happen, uh, you know, at, at nighttime when she was going to bed. It would just be a fluttering light off to the side of her vision, uh, and then she she would know that 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 someone was going to die. And you know, the service that she was on was a pretty intense. It was in, in medical center. Pretty intensive service. People were being shot all the time. They were taking care of some really, really serious uh, problems. So people would die on a regular basis, and she could predict it. And it was just amazing. Wow. Wow. That is so neat. It is. What a great story. It is. Oh, my goodness. So um, now we've talked about love and and universal energy and we've talked about how it's helped you or or brought you more into the spiritual level but did did it actually have that effect on the other doctors as well who provided stories yeah i think they recognized that love uh was an unbelievable force um let me let me give you a couple examples um there was a um uh, uh doctor um Heitzler is a uh, obstetrician gynecologist, and uh, his wife was delivering their fifth child, mm-hmm. and um, uh, she, the delivery went went fine, um, but uh, there were some problems that happened uh, after the delivery. She was having some pain, and needed some anesthetic. So uh, uh, there, were, you know, in those days, they gave a drug called Trilene, which is administered by a mask, and it puts a, pe- a person, person uh, totally uh, asleep, un- unconscious. And so they were about ready to administer the trilane to, to Joan, his wife, when uh, their um, uh, Joan's grandmother, who was a midwife, walked into the room, and she was dressed in the usual uh, sweater vest and a, a white uh, polka dot, uh, uh, little tiny polka dot dress, old lady shoes, and, and her hair up in the bun. And she stood at the foot of the bed and, and shook her head, no, uh, don't do this. And so Joan pushed the trilane away, uh, the trilane mask, and... Um, it's interesting, Joan and, and her, her grandmother, Grandma Hanlon, had a phenomenal relationship. Grandma Hanlon lived with Joan's mother for a long time, and uh, Joan would say, uh, if ever I got in trouble with my mom, if I made it to my Grandma Hanlon's lap, I would be safe. And so that, they had a phenomenal relationship. They loved each other t- uh, tremendously. So Joan pushed the trilene mask away. No one realized that Joan had eaten a large meal a few minutes before the delivery. And so... Uh, what happened is that within about a minute of, of pushing that mask away, Joan vomited the entire meal. Had she had the mask on and been unconscious, she might have died from aspiration. Oh, wow. So Joan, uh, you know, uh, said that she finally made it back to Grandma Hanlon's lap again uh, and, overcome, and had overcome time and space with their love because Grandma Hanlon had died 22 years before. Oh, Wow. Wow. That one gets goosebumps. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my. (laughs) Gosh. Um. Love love conquers all. Uh, It's an amazing force. And I think that's one of the one of the take home lessons from from this book that, you know, again, you don't realize what what significant take home lessons there are. But but that that's one that God loves us, that there's a force out there that loves us and has our back that love between individuals and, and family members is the strongest force in the world, in the universe. And it never dies, and it never dies. It, never it goes dies. into another parallel universe. Now, did 
other doctors experience visions of someone that is passed? Um, yes, yes. Um, there, um, uh, let me just think of a good one. Um, uh, Dr. Sigaloff, uh, again, uh, who um, uh, had, I think she was pretty, seemed to be pretty close to the, to the other side uh, much of the time. It was a general surgeon. She operated on um, uh, a number of people, and one of the people she operated on uh, was a, a missionary from uh, Africa. They were doctors, doctor missionaries, and every time they would be in the office, they would, they would, you know, uh, they would encourage her to, to read the scriptures, to get closer to God, and um, and they and and the and the the, the, the fellow uh, who was a doctor said to her, you know, someday, <clears throat> someday I'll show you that there is life beyond this life. I'll, 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 uh, uh, you'll know. Uh, and she thought that was nice and, you know, uh, went on her way. And then um, one morning she was making rounds, uh, really early in the morning because she was flying off to Tucson uh, that day. And um, as she entered the hospital, she had a vision of this uh, individual, this missionary, uh, uh, this male missionary. And... Um, she uh, stopped in her tracks and, and just said hello, and, and uh, it was so surprising that she said hello that she uh, realized what, what had happened and looked around to see if anyone had seen her, and, and no one had seen her. It was too early in the morning, like 5 o'clock in the morning, and then the vision was gone. She went, made her rounds, went on to Tucson, shut off her pager, uh, everything, because, you know, it's nice to be away from everything when you're on vacation. And the way back in the airport, uh, she turned back her her page around, she turned all the, the electronics back on and, and read her emails, and one of the emails said, uh, it, we're, we're uh, sorry to report that uh, Dr. Johnson, who was the fellow that uh, had appeared to her, had died the day that she saw him appear. She realized that uh, this was the crowning missionary moment of his life, and it turned her uh, life around spiritually also. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Some amazing stories. I, I I love them. Oh wow! It's it's like I said. It's beyond uplifting. It's like okay. It's really giving you hope that it's not everything that you're seeing in this day-to-day -day world. It's there's something way beyond it. Yeah. And you you are bringing it to us, and I so appreciate it. Now, you had a near accident in Iowa. Yes. Tell us about that. We were in the Amana colonies and to sightseeing, I think. I can't remember exactly what the purpose was, but I think we were just having fun. And we were driving down this country road pretty fast. We were probably going 60 and... and uh, there was a car behind us that was going like crazy. They just they passed us up, and um, off in the distance, I could see a farmer with his uh, hay rack going uh, and his tractor going across the road, perpendicular to where we were, and have, was starting to cross the road. And I thought, oh no, this person's going to smash into the farmer. And so we put on our brakes. They put on our brakes, and we we were about two inches away from from that person. And there was an embankment that went down just off to the road. There, no, there was no shoulder in the road. The embankment went down about 20 feet. It was very steep. So all of a sudden, when that happened, when I saw the farmer, things started to move in slow motion. It was really strange. And I could keep our car about two inches from the car that was passing us and about two or three feet from, from the embankment. And I could, I, could, I could maneuver the car, and it was so easy to, to steer and to know what to do because everything was moving in such slow motion that I, I couldn't believe it. 
Ultimately, when we got to the farmer, we, we weren't able to slow down enough. The person next to me hit the farmer, and we were able to go around the tractor uh, without any problem at all. And we were untouched and unhurt. The farmer was hurt badly. The people in the car were hurt badly. But uh, we were totally untouched. And it was a strange experience. And after we got out of it, the slow motion went away. And um, uh, it, it was really, it was, it was life-saving. How do you explain that? Because, you know, when I was a, a, a little girl, I was at the beach and, and I was walking on some rocks and I fell, and I fell in slow motion before I hit the bottom. And, and maybe that how, happens what, to other people. I don't know. So how do you, do you, is there an explanation for that? I don't know if there is a scientific explanation for that. Uh, I think uh, the only explanation that I could come up with is some, there was some, something that was helping me to not have an accident and something that obviously was helping you to know how to fall or where to fall. And uh, I think that may happen to others. Uh, uh, you know, that's just a little divine intervention, I think, or, or uh, uh, some force is, is uh, looking out for us. Again, this, this love, uh, I think, is, is part of it. Exactly. It, it's really something that you brought that up. So, yeah, I, and I wasn't hurt when I fell. I could have been because I was landing on rocks, mm -hmm. but that's that's really incredible. I appreciate you bringing that up. It just gave me an aha moment. So, These stories you're right. Do. These stories do. I've had many patients say, oh, yeah, that, that was more than a coincidence, I realize. Now, you know, after you tell me these stories, I realize some of the things in my life really were not coincidental at all. And it's, it's, it's fun to hear that, that comment. Yes. So when people read this book, they're getting aha moments in their own lives. That's awakening them. Yeah. I, I had one fellow, uh, one, one of the patients. Now, you know, I love to tell these stories in, in, my, in my examining rooms. And I'm usually, you know, get behind uh, in, in my schedule, but it's, it's still worth it. And, and one of the patients... Uh, told me that about an occurrence that happened to him. He thought it was a total coincidence. And after I told him a couple of stories, he said, no, I don't think that's a coincidence anymore. He was um, looking for an apartment for his daughter who had an internship in New York City. And it was a three-month internship, and, and they, you know, they were not very well off. And so they, it, it turned out that she couldn't afford any apartments that were in the center of New York City. They're very expensive. So she was going to have to give up the internship. Well, that night, my patient had a dream. He dreamed about a person that he'd known a long time ago, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, that hadn't, hadn't been seen, hadn't talked to for that length of time. And uh, it was a strange kind of a dream, but, you know, he dismissed it when he woke up. And the next morning, he got a phone call. And who was it? The person he hadn't talked to for 10 or 15 years. He happened to be living in New York City. Uh, and he said, you know, uh, I've been, I just wanted to call you. I had a, I, I had a uh, thought that I needed to call you today. I wanted to tell you about my life. I've been very successful. I've made a lot of money. I'm now retired. I live in the middle of New York City. I have a three-bedroom apartment. I'm all alone and very lonely. And the fellow, my patient, said, well, you know, my daughter's looking for a, an apartment in New York. Do you think you could put her up? Oh, I'd love to. Have her give me a call. She can have a bedroom of her own. I'll feed her. We'll have a grand time. I'll show her around. And sure enough, it, he, he did. And it was, it, it was an amazing experience. And he thought, you know, I thought this was a coincidence, but after listening to you, this is not a coincidence at all. This was something that, this was, again, that force, that God, that uh, was looking out for me and my, and, my, uh, and my daughter. So it is true that 
something out there has got your back if only you can trust and keep your eyes open exactly if only you believe and and believe in something that's something out there invariably when you're involved with doing something worthwhile uh, that force that god will will intervene and and help you in in your efforts you know um a lot of people out there in the world scoff at the law of attraction but one of the things that I really love about it and the philosophy behind it and the universal power is the fact that it tends to make people open their eyes to see occurrences that might not, they might not have normally noticed. Mm-hmm. And so in that respect, it opens up another world to them as well as what you are saying within this book. It's opening up our 3D dimensional world where we're living into other dimensions where we can just finally see through those cracks that, yeah, yeah, there's something there. Mm -hmm. There's something beyond this, and it's wonderful. We All we have to do is kind of open our eyes. And, and that's true. And, and that's what I was hoping that people would realize, that you know, there's so many doctors that have these amazing experiences. And when people believe, when people believe there's something else out there, I think they become kinder people. They become gentler people. They, they try to help other people out. I think it helps all of us. And I was hoping in this secular world that this book would help people realize that if, they're, if, they, if, they, if, they're, if they believe in something else, it's going to be a better world. There's going to be less conflict, less uh, hate, and uh, I think I, I, you know I'm 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 very hopeful that that uh, when people realize there's there's a God out there, there's a force out there that that's got their back, there'll be better people for it. Mm, this is so wonderful, and it's so timely too because you know the holidays are really tough with people who have already passed. Yes. And uh, there's a lot of loneliness going on. Yes. And I think that the timing of this book is so wonderful that if someone really wants to be inspired and know that their loved one is right there with them, they just need to pick up this book, purchase this book, and read it for yourself because it's, it's going to open your eyes even more. I had an interesting experience, uh, Jules, uh, before I got into writing the book, and this was one of the other things that, that got me into writing the book, and, and that is an experience I had in, on a vacation. Now, I have seven children. I'm not sure where they all came from, but I've got seven children. I love oh, wait a minute. You're a doctor. You don't know where they came from. Okay. I love, I love them all dearly, and one of the, one of the things that I love to do the most uh, in, in anything I do is, is go on vacation because... Uh, most of the, all, virtually all the kids and their grandkids, uh, my grandkids, tend to come along on those vacations. And I remember a very special uh, vacation we had in Cape Cod. That's one of our favorite places to go to is Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And uh, it, incru- you know, you had to. It was, it was such a perfect evening. You had to pinch yourself uh, because it was such a, a phenomenal evening. And we, when we're on vacation, we like to get things that that you normally wouldn't eat. So we got swordfish steaks, and we got corn on the cob, and we got. Uh, bread and potatoes and when we were checking out you now the boys the boys on vacation like to cook so the boys were cooking and uh, we uh, when we went to the store we saw a whole bunch of pies uh, there's a whole stack of cherry pies and we bought four of them because we have you know a ton of people on vacation with us 
And uh, we, we got to talking about uh, the pies, the pies we'd liked in the past. And we got to talking about my mother, who uh, made a rhubarb pie, because we had a huge rhubarb plant in the back of our yard. And every fall, mm. she would cut all the stalks off and make this most incredible, very sweet rhubarb pie. Oh, I love rhubarb pie. Oh, I do, too. And when we would go to, go to visit her with my kids, we'd all sneak into the kitchen with our spoons and we'd go after the pie, you know, right in the pot, <laughs> right in the pan. And uh, that was so much fun. And, and uh, since she's passed, you know, I haven't had any rhubarb pie. And, and, uh, and that evening in the, on vacation, it was such a special evening. The kids were, you know, chasing in the yard. The girls were laughing. The boys were cooking and talking and telling jokes. And it was just an incredible evening. And I... I, I kept thinking to myself, you know, I wonder if, if people on the other side still participate in our lives. I wonder if my mother would love to have an evening like this, to see the whole family there, everyone getting along, and just a, a beautiful uh, sunset. And, and uh, so we ate, we ate the dinner. We had the, uh, then my, my wife served the pie afterwards, the cherry pie. And I put my fork into the pie and put it in my mouth, and I got goosebumps up and down my back because the pie wasn't cherry. It was rhubarb. Oh, my goodness. Now, you can make lots of excuses, you know, and say that maybe, you know, in the factory or the bakery where they, where they package the pies, they put the rhubarb in with the cherry. Yeah. But I've never seen very many rhubarb pies uh, that you can buy at no. stores. And no. so when I, uh, my thinking on this, on this occurrence was that my mother was there. She, mm. she wanted to tell us that she was there in a subtle way. And she was enjoying oh. the family and the family times. Oh, how wonderful. This is such a wonderful, wonderful book. Physicians Untold Stories, Miraculous Experience. Doctors are hesitant to share with their patients or anyone. You know, my hope is that more and more doctors will feel it commonplace to reveal the things that you are telling us. That's my hope, anyway. I agree. I agree. And that's, again, one of the purposes of the book, so that, you know, people will feel more comfortable about sharing their, their spiritual feelings with their doctors. Because doctors, you know, even though they don't tell about these kinds of stories to most people, uh, know that there is something else out there in, in most cases, that there are miracles, that, that uh, there are strange occurrences, and that, you know, sometimes uh, healing takes place without medicine and uh, with faith. And so uh, I, I'm hoping that doctors will, will realize that. And, and many, many already do. Uh, uh, yeah, the whole world is awakening up. Uh, your website is physician, physiciansuntoldstories.com. People can go there and purchase a book, or they can purchase a book on Amazon, Kindle, or Barnes & Nobles, or or wherever is this electronic or it's electronic uh, in most of the uh, 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 publishers but as far as Amazon they can get a, a, a soft cover a copy through Amazon and also through Kindle uh, through Amazon too okay you know my suggestion to all the listeners out there if you know someone who is experiencing a very lonely holiday because somebody has passed over this would be a phenomenal gift that you can give them hope and and just the fact that it's coming from a, a medical doctor is enough to make you stand up and pay attention and i think this it will help the person to heal so it's a great christmas gift 
And Dr. Kaboba, I can't thank you enough for taking the time and, and sharing this with us. This is just phenomenal. It, it's just been an absolute delight it, to talk to it's you. It's been fun, Jules. I love to talk about this book because I, I think it's got a message that, that uh, of hope that people need, need, need to, to, to hear. Uh, Especially now. Are you going to be writing another one? You know, um, I, I'd like to write another one about nurses and allied health, health personnel because they've had as many uh, goosebumpy experiences as the, doc- as the doctors have had. And I've had a number of nurses come up to me and say, you know, I've got this experience. Let me tell you about it. And there are some incredible experiences. So that's, that's the next book. I haven't started it yet, but that will be the next book. So you just kind of gather them up and then they tell their stories? Yeah. Is that how you do it? Yeah. It, when, I, when I interviewed the doctors, I would uh, hang out in the doctor's lounge in, the, in, the, in our hospital, which has all kinds of wonderful things that the doctors are attracted to, like donuts and candy and, <laughs> and uh, coffee and, you know, the, the good things that doctors like to eat. And uh, I'd pounce on everyone that came through, and I'd say, you know, I'm writing this book. Do you have a story for me? And sometimes they wouldn't understand what what it was, so I told them a story uh, in in many cases, and and then they would realize what I was talking about. And and if they knew a story, they'd they'd know it right away. If they had a story, they knew it, it, and they could tell me. And then I would, you know, follow up with multiple phone calls later on. But that's pretty much how I did it. And that's what's happened with the nurses, too. I I, uh, bump into nurses here and there, and, and they'll come up to me and say, I've, I've got this story for you. I, I, I read your book, and I'd, I'd like to tell you about my story. And there's some phenomenal stories. You know, this just seems like it's going to affect the medical profession. Um, if the doctors all become more spiritually oriented and more connected to the people, rather than just ob- objects or diseases to cure, then... A whole new world's going to open up. I think it will. For everybody. I think it will. I think you're right. That's this is phenomenal. Oh, wow. Well, keep up the good work. I just, I'm just delighted. And when you write that other book, please come back on and let's talk about it. And um, I'm, I'm anxious to hear it. <laughs> Thanks, Jules. It's been wonderful talking with you. It's been wonderful talking with you, too. And I again, I want to remind people, Physicians Untold Stories, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Barnes & Nobles. Um, or go to his website, www.physiciansuntoldstories.com. With an S, yeah, I wanted to make sure. And I'll put that on the link also when... Um, on my host page so that people will can go there to get the link. Um, fantastic. Thank you again, Dr. Kaboba. Thanks, Jules. And there you have it. There is so much more to life than we can physically see, but we're never alone. And this wonderful, massive universe always has our back. We can trust it. We can stop worrying and we can know that everything is going to turn out just fine. Life is good and our connection to it is unending forever and evermore. Have a wonderful week and we will be back next week with even more goodies to talk about on Law of Attraction Talk Radio. 
Thanks again and have a good one. Talk to you later. Bye-bye for now. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week with another great show from Law of Attraction Talk Radio. If you'd like to comment on tonight's show, send an email to jules at loaradionetwork.com and have a great Thank you.